Hello and welcome to episode number 104 of Ready to Mosh. I'm Kev P and with me is the blood to my stock, it's Gem G. Basic but fitting. Yeah, a bit like, a bit like me. Basic but fitting. <laughs> you said it. We've got a special guest interview this week and it took us a while to get it sorted but it came about and we were really pleased with it. Yeah, we were hoping to have this for our 100th episode, but time just doesn't work out, which is fine. It's here now, slightly late, as we generally often are. And this episode, we've got Adam Gregory, who's the festival director at Bloodstock. We were also hoping to have Vicky with us as well, but sadly, she was unavailable. She was really ill. So it was just us and Adam, and we had a great chat. And here's the interview. We are back with another interview, and it's one we've been trying to get nailed down for quite a while now. But I'm really pleased to say we've got Adam Gregory from Bloodstock, who's the festival director. How are you doing, Adam? I'm doing well. How about yourselves? Yeah, we're good, thank you. Looking forward to, depending on when this goes out, we're looking forward to Christmas now. So that's the next thing. So if it, if it comes to Christmas, hope you had a great one. So firstly, congratulations on another successful Bloodstock. How was it for you? Thank you. It was Yeah, it was good. Uh, it was busy, uh, which, was, which was great. Um, pretty much all the bands turned up, which was even better. Along with the fans, so I think yeah, everyone had a, everyone had a good time, and and you know it's uh, it's just another one sort of marked down as I'd like to say a success. I think everybody would agree it was, uh, you know, and and weather weather was friendly to us as well for the main. So yeah, you can't complain. Looking forward to twenty four now. Yeah, absolutely. Twenty four looks incredible already. Oh, we've got another announcement coming soon as well. Or again, depending on when this goes out, has has already come, gone. So uh, yeah, there's uh, there's, there's going to be a stacked lineup for twenty four definitely. Yeah, we're really looking forward to it. So just looking back to the beginning of Bloodstock when you started and it was an indoor event, did you ever imagine that it would be as big as it is now or that it would have had the lifespan that it's had so far? I think it's one of those things that it's it's because it's a passion, you want it to be as, as big as and as great as it can be. But you see so many, you know, events and shows and especially nowadays sort of pop up they'll do a year or two, costs start taking effect and and they're kind of gone. So, um, you know, for, for us, I think the tenacity of my dad, Paul, who kind of started it and, you know, the rest of the family that got involved with it to keep it going, I think was something um, that probably a lot of people wouldn't have done because, you know, when you're putting your houses on the line because you've got a belief in something that we felt would really be successful at some point, it would have nice to have been more successful sooner um, but it's like anything, you know, these are time to grow, you know, and, and it, it it did. And, uh, you know, we're thankful for that. So, you know, yeah, it's great to see where it is today. Back in 2001, could we have ever envisaged it being the size of it is? Probably not. No, you know, we didn't even think at that point we were going to do outdoors. It was going to be an indoor show um, when, when it was first launched and it was for five years. So, yeah. So obviously it's the busiest time for you during the festival. Do you actually get to enjoy the music or watch any of the bands? I wish I did. Um, I mean, we, we get to see the odd song, the odd track. Uh, you know, I've, I've been lucky enough to sort of catch maybe three or four songs on occasion. And usually it's from, you know, sneak into the pit for a quick 10, 15 minutes and then your radio goes and, okay, you've got to go off and sort something else or have a conversation about something else. So uh, we tend to be quite busy, uh, myself and Rachel. Uh, Vicky, you know, she's flat out running around after the bands as well. She sometimes does get the opportunity, but that's because that's more her job is is sort of dealing with the bands with Simon. So, um, you know, they've got that probably a little bit more flexibility in that front. But uh, yeah, you know, we we try and sort of get us get and see and do as much as we can. You know, we're still fans of the music and fans of the show. 
but for us it's important that we spend a lot of our time in areas that the fans are so car parks campsites arena and and you know the vip and everywhere else so we want to sort of see what's happening real time on the ground so we do spend a lot of time walking around and, and just sort of seeing what's going on is there a band that's played at bloodstock that you didn't think would have been possible to get there um the obvious one to me was judas priest you know we 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 tried for a long time to get judas priest but it's it's the same as anything you know it's a it's a band that are high in standing um it's it's a band that's ultimately you know they want to play shows that are suitable for them uh, as as with any band that's what they want to do and and you know gaining credibility as a young festival was always difficult and that just takes time and it, it it took time and a lot of conversations and a lot of years of disappointment that it didn't happen so when it did it was it was a a joyful moment to say the least and you know they've played a, a couple of times now so we're really happy and we're good friends with them as well so uh you know it worked out all right then when you make the festival announcement for the following year do you watch the crowd reaction to see how everything's going down yeah when myself and vicky normally um are out there we either do it from front of house where we can actually watch the announcements on the screens or we do it from the pit and it was only because we couldn't get to the front of the house this year because it was so busy we ended up watching it from the pit and the you know the, the reactions make everything and is you know worth you know, worth the wait because vicky to more than anybody probably feels that pressure because she's the one booking these bands on on the hope and understanding that she's reading the audience right and in the main she does a great job you know and and she books some incredible bands the announcements this year you know i mean architects was probably one of the loudest announced sort of announcement sort of reactions we've had you know and that was a fantastic announcement for for the band and and you know validation really that she knows what she's doing so if we can keep her employed for another year now so she's all right (laughs) (laughs) so you mentioned that there's another announcement coming up and with Bloodstock, you do tend to have quite regular announcements across the course of the year. How do you decide when to make the announcements and what to include on these? I mean, generally that's done when we've got bands booked. You know, it's we don't sit on these bands for, for months on end and think, right, we'll do one in September and one in November. You know, if we, we'll sort of book a number of bands, or Vicky and Simon will book a number of bands, and when they've got effectively an announcement-worthy schedule to put out, we'll schedule it in straight away. You know, we don't want to sit on on sort of band announcements indefinitely and, and you know, just sort of keep fans teased and, and hoping they'll sort of come regardless. We want you guys to know and everybody to know straight away as soon as we've got bands booked. So, you know, for certainly when we do the festival announcement, for example, Vicky is already booking bands now for 25. So that come next August, we've got a host of bands we can announce next August in line for 25. So that preparation work starts really, really early. You know, and, and I think they do a great job. It's it's tough. I've dealt with a few bands myself and it's hard work because you've got a lot of dots to cross and nice to, to sort of dot and all that kind of stuff, you know, and, and it's it's difficult at times. Um, the demands are there and you've got to sort of fulfill all of those. And bands aren't overly demanding, I don't think. I just think they want what they want and they want to be told the truth. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of due diligence that has to happen to make sure that we can announce on time and everyone's happy. Because, again, you can't announce a band unless the band say, yes, you can announce us. So they've got to make sure they're happy that everything's been agreed and, and you know, we're going to be good to our word, which so far, so good. So one of our favourite things about Bloodstock is Metal to the Masses. Yes. And we went to a lot of our local qualifying rounds. We also went to the final in Leicester and the final in Nottingham. Oh, brilliant. Did you think that would be as successful it has been and actually grow beyond the UK? Well, that was that was kind of Paul's, uh, 
him a dad's idea. He's, he's, he's an artist at heart and he's a big fan and follower of, you know, emerging talent, whether that be art itself or, you know, bands performing and everything else. And he felt, you know, in the early days that ultimately we have a platform, you know, and it'd be foolhardy and selfish really not to sort of try and support their next tier of new talent, the emerging talents out there. And the pool is phenomenal. We've seen that. We know that, you know, and, and testament to that is the venues selling out, the fans like yourselves turning up to the shows to see the next tier of bands that are out there. So I think the dream always was for it to be big. I think now, it's, if I'm honest, I think it's probably the biggest and most honest emerging band search that there is in any genre of music that's purpose is purely and solely to find that next tier of bands with no agenda. Um, you know, the hope always is when we find the next Metallica or Maiden or Slipknot, however it may be, that they'll come and play a little bit cheaper than than anywhere else because we've given that start. But, <laughs> you know, to get that out there. But ultimately, the, the whole point behind this is for, you know, a genuine opportunity for new and emerging talent to find a football and, and to find a platform. You know, and that's what we've tried to create. So venues aren't allowed to charge bands. They're not allowed to ask bands to sell tickets. All the bands have to do is turn up and give the best performance. That's it. You know, and, and they'll be judged based upon that show, that performance and how they are on stage. So Simon Hall, you know, who looks after that for, for Bloodstock worked and has worked tirelessly on that for, you know, a good number of years to create something that's, you know, very, very genuine. So I think he's done a great job. And the fact it's being recognised across Europe now and further afield, I think, is testament to the work that's been under, undertaken by Simon and the rest of the team. So we know as a festival that you like to be quite interactive with the fans and the Facebook lives that yourself and Vicky do are a great way of doing this. How are they from your perspective? Um, I actually love them. I think it's, yeah, I mean, I, you know, you're always going to have some comments that you don't necessarily agree with and, and you know, that they're fine. That's fine. You know, and I think as long as those comments come across the right way and they are constructive in the criticism, you have to be able to accept that and take that. You know, and it's the only way we can better ourselves. We aren't perfect in what in our delivery. And I think we do a good job, but we can always learn and we can always do something different. And when there's a call for that, it's important that we have that that connection and that communication with the fans that they can engage because we need to hear it. So this is one of the reasons we make ourselves very visual across the festival we can, because if something isn't happening as the way we want it to happen, I don't want it. Well, we don't want to hear about it Monday, Tuesday. We want to hear about it Thursday, Friday, Saturday when it's actually not working so we can fix it. So the experience that the fans actually have when they are actually with us is the best it can possibly be. Now, sometimes we don't hear it, unfortunately, until the following week because we're not informed. But we try and make sure that we're, you know, we're as available as possible. I'm out there on social media. Anybody can message me at any time. And if it's something I'm on the social media across the weekend constantly. So we don't want to hide behind anything. It is important to us that we do remain very, very visual and very, very connected because ultimately we're, we're fans just like everybody else. How do you decide on the different subgenres to play at the festival? Do you have to decide that we need X amount of Doom, for instance, and X amount of Thrash? Is there a conscious sort of thing for you to decide what you need? Really? No, not really. I mean, a lot of it, you know, people sort of send in requests for we'd love this band to play we'd like that band to play and we we look through believe it or not we sit and scour the social media channels for weeks and weeks and weeks and continually continue to do that myself vicky simon you know our social media team rachel and everyone else and basically what happens is when the suggestions do come up we go and look at these bands and it's not necessarily right okay we've got x men doing bands x amount of thrash bands you know we've got some power metal or anything else it's, it's a case of who's available and are they a good band you know, we don't necessarily pigeonhole ourselves 
themselves in any specific balance, if you like. So some years it might be heavier in Thrash, it might be heavier in Doom. That's not by design necessarily. That's just by the way it's fallen. So, you know, when we look to book bands, it is based upon the band schedules. So they might not be touring our window. They might not be doing the late summer. They might be doing the early summer in Europe. They might be doing a US tour. They might be in the studio. They're not available that year. There's so many different parameters, uh, you know, for why bands can and can't be available. But that isn't always evident to the fans that, you know, think, well, why didn't you book this band this year? And you could go through kind of every request and probably give a reason to every single one. And they're probably conversations that we have had, whether it be this year or the previous year or the following year. Um, so, you know, we do listen intently. And if there's a calling for a certain band, we'll give it a go. It might not come off, but it's also, you know, might come off in the future. So we don't want to sort of say too much and, you know, unnecessarily sort of spoil it for a future conversation by saying something that quite simply is is off the chin and, and not really intended or meant. So, you know, Vicky and, and Simon and the rest of the team, they have great relationships with the agents. They work very, very hard to build those relationships with the agents and the bands. And it's all about building future lineups that isn't going to be just a great lineup in 24, but 25, 26, 27 and beyond. So it's to keep that going. Right. We're going to move on now to the quickfire round. First quickfire question then is, what are your favourite crisps? Monster Munch. I, I rediscovered Monster Munch a couple of weeks ago. Oh, what flavour? Um, I, I particularly like the pickled onion ones. Uh, and there's and, well, there's two. There's pickled onion and there's the flaming that comes in the red packet, the flaming hot ones. I quite like those. I, only just got, I, I used to be a big fan. And then I uh, saw them in Asda a few weeks ago and thought, oh, I fancy those. And yeah, they're now my new favourite crisp for now. What was the first gig that you watched? The first gig? Yep. Probably Saxon. As a young person, Paul, my dad, does all the artwork for Saxon, as you probably know, and and well, I've done for many, many years, but about 14, 15 albums now, maybe more. And I remember back in 1984 when he did Crusader, and we went to see the band uh, when they played in the UK. So that was my first sort of experience, if you like, of a live gig, and it was, luckily, metal. Yeah. <laughs> what would be your death row meal? So you get a starter, main, pudding, and a drink. Oh, starter would be ribs. Um, main, I, I, would, I would say steak, but it's probably not. I'd say gammon egg and chips, probably. And then followed up by a nice chocolate gatto, triple chocolate gatto, warm, no cream. And what drink would you have? Drink, Guinness. Yeah, there you go. I'm a bit of a Guinness guy, so I do like Guinness. If you were a ghost, who would you haunt? Oh, God, there's so many people. <laughs> I, I, I'd, I'd go out doing the rounds, I think, to be honest. It would be something. I don't think there'd be anybody in particular. There's probably lots of people over the years that have said things they probably shouldn't have said that began to visit. So, yeah, I think it's a, that list is too long to mention in one in particular, I think. <laughs> but I do, it, I do it in a nice way. I do it in a nice way. Just going to say hello, you know. <laughs> <laughs> what song would be your theme tune? Um, probably, probably, um, I, I would think Thunderstruck, ACDC. I just remember watching um, oh, Battleship quite a few years ago when that first came out and it's the bit where they sort of start they get they get all the old guys back on the old battleship and take it to beat up the aliens and i think it's a really cool theme tune that kind of goes with any situation really so yeah i'd probably i'd probably do that nice and simple i'm not trying to keep it metal it just happens to be that way what was the first album you owned um the first album i actually owned was adam and the ants back in the day um i can't remember the actual name of the album but it was um the prince charming with all that stuff and you know yeah 
yeah, that, that that was the very very first one. I remember, I was actually on a cassette, I think, as well, a while ago. Yeah, I think I was around eighty one. Uh, yeah, late seventies, early eighties, probably. Yeah, yeah, a while ago. I seem to have all the food ones this time. So, what is your favourite pizza topping? Well, up until very recently, I didn't like cheese. What? Oh, I, I, yeah, I know, I know. So I used to have pizzas with no cheese. So I'd have basically, it's basically like tomato on bread with meat on top. That's what I used to have. And I've just, I was away on holiday with my wife, and I'd had a couple of drinks, and I've been, you know, when you get this hankering for something, and you think, yeah, I maybe should try it. And so I tried a bit of pizza, and thought actually it's all right. So um, I've started doing pepperoni pizzas now with cheese. Nice and simple, not ever complicated. What was the last song you listened to? Uh, it was, oh, I can't remember the name of the actual song, but it was Peyton Parish. I was listening to this morning. I don't know whether you're aware of Peyton Parish. He's got some, kind of, worth a listen if you haven't listened to him. But he's, yeah, he's, uh, I was listening to some of his tracks this morning while I was at the gym. Um, he's got a very, very good album. I think he was, a, he was originally a YouTuber that's kind of then started sort of doing a lot of singing and stuff. And he's very, very heavy with a lot of his tracks. Um, and he's, he's got a couple of tracks around Scotland and, you know, other, other sort of Viking, Viking-esque type songs. Really good. So give that a listen. Yeah, we will. Yeah. Discovering something new, you see. Always the way forward. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. That's the end of the quickfire round. So we'll go back to some more normal questions. Okay. So one thing that was new at Bloodstock this year was Rockfit. Are you planning to have Rockfit back again next year? Yeah, I think we will. I think, well, it went down really well. Um, it's it's a great thing, I think, to wake up to in the morning. There's a lot of people that, you know, generally is and throughout their course of natural life exercise. And when you're in a field, you've had a few drinks and you, you'd sort of buy a tent, you're limited really on the amount of exercise you can probably do. And I think Rockfit is a good, a good opportunity for those people that necessarily don't do fit, you know, keeping fit normally to give it a go in an environment that actually you're not going to get judged for. I mean, we know a lot of commercial gyms aren't the best place if someone's wanting to start out, you know, sort of training and trying to keep fit because people are naturally worried about perception and how people would sort of treat them because they're not a gym freak or whatever else people tend to be. So I think having something like Rockfit there in an environment that is judgment free, I actually think is a great thing. And it's a great opportunity for people to sort of give it a go and see what they think. Yeah, definitely. I've been doing Rockfit for about three and a half years now, online and in face-to-face classes, and it really is a great, welcoming, inclusive community. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, it's a good thing. I think it's a great thing. I've been going to the gym for years, you know, and you see lots of people in the gyms of different shapes and sizes. And to me, I always think it's fantastic that, you know, people are in there. It doesn't matter what shape or size they are, they're doing something and they're trying to better themselves. And I think that's just something we all we all should do. So how do you plan for the unforeseen? This year we had that sudden downpour that came out of nowhere. Last year we had the extreme heat. There's band cancellations. Like Halloween, you mean? <laughs> <laughs> Not mentioning any names at all. No, I mean, look, that, that you know, Halloween cancelled this year last minute and it was one of those things. It's, you know, nobody's fault in, in particular, but you've got to deal with it. You know, and I think it's nice that we've got a very strong team around us that are very resourceful. And, you know, the first thing we do is if something happens, panicking isn't going to fix it. Stressing about it isn't going to fix it. Transparency and openness will. Um, you know, generally things go wrong with any live show, uh, whatever whatever it may be, how big, how small. Whether you can never, you, you know, months and weeks out, you can't sort of plan for certain types of weather. 
it could be sunny, sunny for weeks. And then your weekend, it could be horrific rain or vice versa. And we've had that. So we have to have contingencies in place to sort of try and roll out should we need to. We're very fortunate with wet weather where we are that the ground soaks away amazingly well. So we've we've been lucky enough not to have the issues that probably some other festivals have faced over the years with you know really deep mud. So that's that's been a saving grace. Not that we wouldn't get that, but it's it's far less likely with bloodstock. Um, we had the immense heat last year, not this year, last year, you know, and and that was something that was just next level, you know. And again, we knew it was going to be warm, but we didn't expect it to be kind of that warm. Um, about the hottest the UK seen in God knows how many years. And we take learnings from that. You know, we we sort of have lessons. We knew the week leading into it was going to be hot. And, you know, but at that point, you're very restricted on what kind of structures you can bring in because it's what's available and what transport's available. And post-COVID, there was still a lot of transport issues. Um, but water points, we bought more water points in and blah, blah, blah. Whereas then this year, we learned from last year, we bought more shaded areas into the arena, more water points. And, you know, the shaded areas were both for wet weather and for extreme heat. So, you know, we, we've got to keep growing with it and, and just, you know, if something happens, get your heads together and, and fix it or put a plan in. That's all we do. So we do just need to mention binge jousting. Oh, yeah. Always has to come up, doesn't it? So it's going to be legal for next year. How is this actually going to work? Well, basically, it's it's one of these things that as much as we've tried to stop it, and it's still, it, it, it isn't, if in a perfect world, we just wouldn't have it, we wouldn't do it because people can get hurt. And we need bins to put rubbish in and blah, blah, blah. But whatever we try to do that, we've taken the wheels off them, we've chained them to fence lines, we've chained them together. And somehow, whether people turn up with bolt crockers and extra wheels, we're not sure. Somehow, they always seem to get them and do the bin jousting and people get hurt. So we've got to the point now that, you know, then we took some of the bins away this year. So then they start climbing up massive poles. And then when they climb up scaffold poles, you've got the risk then because they've got the the bolt locks on poles which hold things together if somebody slides one down slides down one of those by accident drunk they're going to rip a lot of stuff that they shouldn't be ripping so you know we've got to think to ourselves now okay well if if the bin jousting is what they really really want to do do we do it but we man we manage it where we try and do it safely so there will be probably a run with crash mats either side you will have to sign a waiver you will have to wear a helmet you will have to wear padding you know because it's got to be safe you know, we understand the fun. We've got to do some work on the bins. So we'll be buying some bins and we'll be reinforcing them, getting rid of sharp edges, um, you know, putting some cushioning in them. Not to take away the fun, but just to try and make the fun a bit safer. Um, so it's one of those things. We're currently discussing, obviously, with um, the legal entity and the health and safety people, because obviously that's a big, big barrier to overcome. But we'll hopefully get that sorted out in the coming weeks and then we'll start working on how it's going to work on the weekend. And we have one of the people that was um, a gentleman by the name of Top Hat, who has generally run it illegally for the last 10 years, who um, we've engaged with. And if we are going to do this, he'll probably run it legally for us. So at least we could try and manage it effectively so people aren't getting hurt like they are previously. So, yeah, we'll see. Watch this space. Yeah, you never know. Making it legal might actually stop it. Hey, is this reverse psychology happening? Possibly. You know, maybe. Who knows? Well, you know, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Like we did bring in, we did bring in inflatables this year. You know, and although they were a slow burn to take off, towards the sort of middle of the weekend, they started getting really popular. So, you know, who knows? See how it goes. So, aside from the weather and the bin jousting, what are the kind of biggest logistical issues for you guys? Well, as a normal, traffic's normally a big one. 
we have to do a tremendous amount of work in advance and we've already had meetings this last couple of weeks with highways and the local councils both Derbyshire and Staffordshire with regards to road networks because we have to take into account any road closures uh, routing into the events and everything else like that road restrictions because there's been width restrictions put on certain access points for height and width um, and we have to manage all of that as well and that takes a tremendous amount of um, resource effort work and, and logistical sort of communication between lots of different parties but you know we're, we're lucky that the teams we have around us again work very well together from opposing councils and from highways and you know we had low road closures this year that were planned over the bus stop weekend that um we then engaged with national highways and they they would kindly postpone those so they didn't inf- you know impact the local roads on on the bus stop weekend and the fans leaving and arriving on site so there's a lot of things that you're trying to put together that aren't necessarily just logistically for the festival itself in the build there but it's getting people to and from you know as a fan of the festival you don't want to be leaving site monday morning and then sitting for eight hours to move two miles you want to be able to get in your car you've had a great weekend go home get changed get refreshed get some sleep you know and it's important to us that we can try and manage that to to sort of make sure the roads are as, as in the best position possible for that to happen yeah i have to say the journey to and from bloodstock is one of the easiest journeys of all the big festivals well, that's good to know. Yeah, there are so many where it just goes horribly wrong. You're just stuck in the car for ages or you can't get out of the car park. I've sat in traffic in, in events before, and it, and it is. It's it's horrible, you know, for for anybody, whether it's somebody that's working the show or, you know, traveling as a fan. You know, we've, we've been to shows last year, the year before, that I've actually turned around and gone away and thought, I'm, you know what, I'm not going today, I'll go tomorrow. Purely because the traffic was building up so far away, it was like I just didn't want it. But, you know, I was lucky to live close enough that it wasn't a major thing. Whereas I imagine if people have traveled five, six hours to get somewhere and and then they've got three, four, five, six hours of a wait, it's it's a headache. But, you know, there's only certain, certain things that can be done. You know, flow of traffic and volume of traffic play a massive part in that. And, you know, when you're bringing vehicles off the road, you've got to bring them off safely. A lot of people, when they get into a car park, they want directing where to go. And all these things might only slow down for a few seconds, but by the time that chain reaction goes to the back of the line you could be a few seconds have turned into a few hours all of a sudden so you know i do feel the pain of a lot of these events when they go through this um and i wish there was an easy fix there isn't always you know and if people have tried you know they suggest why don't you stagger your flow stagger people coming in so right you can't you can come in at wednesday morning you can wednesday afternoon but if you're a fan you bought a ticket you just want to get there you don't care when you want to get there before everybody else you want to get the best pitch available you know, so you're not going to be happy to be told you can't arrive until after everybody else has turned up. So, you know, it's extremely difficult to manage that. Yeah, it just wouldn't work. People will do just what they want to do anyway. They, they will. Yeah, they, they will. And human nature is, you know, in the t- times we live in, follow sat now. You know, you put directions on sometimes when there are road closures and you make people look, please go look at the road closures. Now nah, I'll be fine. You just program the sat now and think that will fix it. But inevitably it doesn't. So, you know, that can cause snarl ups and headaches traffic when it breaks down we had a camp van breakdown a couple of years ago on one of the main roads in i think we found out to been it out about it with about five six minutes of it happening because obviously the traffic was starting to build back to the a38 uh i think i ended up going out with somebody else with my vehicle we detached the the caravan i brought the caravan back in somebody towed the car in we got the road cleared in about eight minutes which isn't always possible for other people to do other shows to do we were lucky enough that we had the road network to do that so you know, you've got to be able to respond as quickly as you can do, I guess, when things do go wrong. So what would you say is the best performance you've ever seen at Bloodstock? One of them, I would say, would be Partway Drive. Um, 
you know, when they they put on a show and they were sort of very um and our band for a lot of fans when we booked them. Um, but we'd seen the show, or Vicky had seen the show at Halle Pally, and it was it was an incredible show. And you know, they came to Bloodstock with a point to prove and and delivered beyond you know their expectations, but what, what we thought they would do. Lots of fire turned a cool night into a very warm night, which was great. So you know, that to me was was a fantastic show. I think Ginger when they played, um, you know, as well, that was a very poignant show. I think that had a lot of emotion around it as well for the fans and seeing all those yellow and blue beach balls flying around the, the arena was kind of cool. So there's too many, there's so many to mention. There really is, you know, it's some of the tented shows we've had when we had Machine Head in the tent, um, you know, a year or two ago. And, and, you know, that was a surprise band. That was, again, insane. Very, very last minute, but just a, a wow moment, a great performance. And it doesn't need to be lots of explosions and pyros and video wars. It just needs to be an energetic, great performance that people really want to see. And I think, you know, Machine Head was, was probably up there as well. So so just on the bands, what's been the most bizarre rider request? We've not, I mean, we've been quite lucky. I think people tend to think it's all rock and roll and, and you know, it's really bizarre requests. We were told, and I can't name the band, and it was actually the band that told us this. They did a show a few years ago and the rider request came through and one of the band members, and he is a well-known person, but I'm not going to really going to say who it, who it is, requested a horse for no other reason than he thought, well, they've said I can have anything I want. He says, I'm going to ask for a horse. And not for a second thought he'd get a horse. And when he got there, he had a horse. And apparently, he, he ended up riding this horse on stage during the previous band's show because he just said, I can't believe they were stupid enough to get me a horse. He said, so sorry, I'm going on the horse. And he did. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's probably the weirdest one I've heard of. But yeah, not not. I think we the normal ones we get are, you know, M&Ms, I don't want the blue ones or I don't want brown ones. It's like, stop it. So our, our bands, to be fair, I think we're lucky. They're quite sensible. So I know that you said you've already got bands booked into 2025. How far do other things, such as kind of the food vendors and the bars, get planned in? That's an ongoing conversation. We had our um, meeting with bars and VIP yesterday, yesterday Sunday. Uh, you know, and we talk about the next sort of two or three years and the progression and the changes that can happen um not to change things because they necessarily need to be changed it's changing things to enhance what we already do because what we don't want to do is break something that's actually working really really well um but we will look at future growth and where where we want bloodstock to be as as a size of an event and what that would look like potentially and that could be stage orientation that could be amount of vendors food and and the entertainment we try and make sure with bloodstock that it's not just about the bands that are on we try and make sure there's plenty of activities for, for people to do because you can't please everybody with every band. So if there's something, if there's a band on that somebody necessarily doesn't, isn't that interested in seeing, what else can they do? So the Viking battles and the rock fit and the gaming arena, the art gallery and, you know, the vendors, the fair and everything else that's kind of, that kind of goes on with all the stores and whatnot. I think it's important to sort of have that level of diversity and difference that people have alternative things to keep them busy. So we're always looking ahead at, at sort of what we can do to bring in something different. Rachel's a big believer in in sort of making a change, not because something's necessarily broken, but just to offer the fans something a bit of a, oh, wow, that's different. You know, oh, that's brilliant. It's how we can improve that value without without adding overvalue where the fans end up paying for it. Value for money for us is, is very, very important. You know, when we have to put a price increase in, it's one of those things we argue about intently. You know, somebody doesn't say, oh, let's put the price up. And everyone goes, yeah, brilliant, let's put the price up. 
it's one of those conversations we have with, oh, yeah, but do we really need to? And then we do a whole cost analysis on on where we are, infrastructure costs and you know, fencing, staging, security, paramedics, fire, you know, everything goes up in value that we have to pay a lot more money for. And when you're building a little village or a little town into a, a greenfield site, those costs spiral exponentially very, very fast. So we tend to do a lot of work where we we engage with suppliers on two or three year deals to try and sort of keep those prices locked down as low as we can for as long as we can. Um, you know, where we're fighting the inflation. Inflation, as you know, the last year or two has gone nutty. Um, and it's nice to see that now starting to come down and hopefully that'll start to balance out pricing. So, you know, there's a lot of work that goes in that's really boring, but actually needs to happen so we, we can get a grasp of of keeping that value there for, for fans. Yeah, it's great to hear that you are so conscious over things like pricing because tickets are so inflated these days. And even with the same event, the prices can increase on the day that they go on sale. Well, we've seen, we've seen you know, you go and see one band and it's 100 quid, 120 quid. It's like it's one band with maybe one or two support acts. You know, we're trying to say, well, look, we're four days, 130 plus acts, you know, and it's it's you're paying, you know, one pound something per band effectively is what you ought to be paying for. And you think, well, there's there's your kind of value. You know, it's talking with the food vendors to sort of keep the prices as moderate and favorable as you can. We work with the beer companies to, again, keep those prices as favorable as we can. We don't want to be charging eight, nine, ten pound a pint, you know, as you can sort of get. I, mean, I went to London a few weeks ago and it's, you know a round of drinks is like it's like really it's a week's wage for a lot of people you're spending and having a drink it's 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 insane um and we don't want that you know we want people to come have the best possible weekend you know festivals you are you are always going to pay more because ultimately we've got to bring everything in to a field that didn't exist and that's that carries cost but you've got to also work to try and keep that cost as favorable as possible for everybody and you know we we are very conscious of that you know, bringing in the um, deposit scheme, which launches tomorrow um, for tickets as well. You know, it's something six months, take the pinch out of people buying a ticket. It's something that people that people do want and, to, and make use of. So, you know, there's an obvious requirement that people are watching the money, especially at the moment with the cost of living and everything else. We have to be, be you know, mindful of that. So back to the bands. Is there anybody you really want that you haven't had yet? I'm an old school rock guy as well. I would love Def Leppard, if I'm honest. Okay. You know, they still sound insane. Uh, they still sound as good live. You know, I saw them a year or two ago in Nottingham. And you, when you listen to the CDs and the albums, they sound very, very close to the recordings. And I think that's great. Whereas you see a lot of bands, especially as the, they're sort of getting older, don't necessarily have that set, the same tone and vocal ranges that they probably did back in the sort of 80s, 90s. So I think, you know, they're one of those bands that sort of sits right up there. Obviously, there's going to be bands like, Oh yeah, I'd love to get Metallica or Slipknot or Maiden, but then it's the case of well, yeah, that's the budget gone, so that's all that. That's that's them playing the whole weekend, really. One band over four days won't really work. Um, it's about being really, you know, realistic. But there's there's bands out there that sort of lower mid card that we are looking at at the moment. So I can't say too much, but there's a few that that to me I'd love to have at the festival. I'm hoping Vicky can work some magic and make it happen. So there's there's always a wish list of of who you'd want. You know, but it's more not necessarily about what I want, it's what the fans want. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the things I do like about Bloodstock is that value for money. And as a bit of context, I looked at uh, tickets for an arena show, and it was £130 for one show. And I love the band in question, but it's just a unacceptable kind of price. I know, you know, I get, I get you know, for, for a band, you know, let's, let's be honest with you, record 
sales don't really exist anymore for bands when it comes to where they make the money you know they make their money from touring from doing shows from selling merch you know and that's how they that's how they prophesize their profitize their their sort of livings nowadays whereas years ago it was all about album sales and the touring was really to promote the albums and the album sales so it's very much gone sort of completely roundabout tit if you like from where it used to be and and so i kind of part of me understands why they're trying to charge a premium a lot of it isn't actually the band a lot of it is sometimes promoters and agents and management that are sort of setting these prices and the bands necessarily aren't doing that um you know and, and same with merch sales and things like that it's not always the band that set these prices sometimes obviously it is but not not in all cases so it's difficult to say whether it's it's greed or whether it's a last hurrah for some bands before they sort of hang up the mics and call it a day and they're charging sort of silly money but i think fans are very much becoming wise to it you know and and they don't want to be spending 130 pounds as you just said on on one show they'd probably spend 60 south 60 you know 60 70 pounds on that show still grumble a bit but okay it's a band i really want to see uh, and i'll spend the money but i think when you can sort of go to a festival you know and see it might not be that band that you want to see but it, but see a lot of great bands have four great days three great days however long that show may be for a pound something per band you've got to decide where that value sits you know when you go to a festival if you go to a show you might bump into the the odd mate you go to a festival you're going to make great friends you know across three four days that you're going to see every year or outside of the festival as well so it's more than just seeing bands it's a it's a gathering of like minds and and people that want to be together and spend time together. So, and that's to me, one of the big attractions to a festival. And that, and that's what it should be. It should be that gathering where people you can sort of see, or you haven't seen for years, or you've never even met before. You go away, not just seeing a load of great bands, but having made a load of great friends. And I think that's worth its weight in gold. That's worth the ticket price alone. We've had people meet and got married where they've met at Bloodstock. And I think, you know, that's such a, a wonderful thing and a magical thing to happen where you know you're you're part of a journey in in people's ever you know forever after and that's incredible to to sort of say that we've been sort of part of that journey and it's 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 super humbling so for us it's it's win-win big smiles yeah i think the size of bloodstock as well really adds to that for me it's kind of the perfect size for a festival and it's just really easy to kind of arrange to meet people or you just keep bumping into the same people all weekend yeah i mean we often get asked what our growth aspirations are and where we see Bloodstock in five years. And I'll be honest with you, we don't really see it much bigger than where it is today. Not because, you know, we, we sort of don't think it will get much bigger. It's that we don't really want it much bigger because where it is at the moment is manageable to the fact that you can control pretty much the atmosphere and the environment and the way people feel. And you can react quickly when things need to be reacted to. So I think if you get too big too quickly, you can be, you can be very quick to lose sight of the important things um and for us it's not about making millions of pounds i mean if it was we'd never start a festival but you know, ultimately, ultimately it's about delivering a show that we would be proud to be you know visiting as, as fans so that's the important thing and i think we need to be able to be in a situation where we can manage that flow and, and that size and i think that's where we kind of really are at the minute so just looking forward again to 2024 is there anything else new for next year that you can share with us there are things, there are things. I can't share anything great at the moment, massive, uh, because they're still in the planning stages and until they're signed off and they're booked, I can't say too much. But again, you know, it's it's not about changing things overly dramatically, but it's adding in niceties, touches, qualities that people are going to feel 
and recognise and and take value from. So I think it's important to us that that what we do deliver is seen in the right way in the right manner. And and we like surprises, as you know, you know, and hence the fact we announced bands at the festival for the following year where we can. So uh, yeah, I think it's very much around watch this space and and hopefully, you know, keep an eye on the app, keep an eye on the socials, keep an eye on your show because I'm sure you'll be telling people all about stuff as well, you know, and and surprises will be forthcoming. Nice one. <laughs> we can't wait for that. Good. Me, me too. And on the feedback that uh, you guys kind of act on, where it's possible you can really see that. I remember last year it being insanely hot, and then this year there were more water points, there was more shading. We look, we look at everything. You know, it's not... It's not just for the sort of the overall betterment of the festival as well. You've got areas that we'll also look at, whether it's VIP, whether it's accessible camping, whether it's camper vans. Um, you know, we've got a change coming into the camper vans for next year, which we haven't announced just yet, which I think will go down well. Um, but, you know, there's there's sort of all those areas that we want to try and make sure that we deliver the best possible experience for every single person. You know, I mean, we had uh, special accessible toilets that were put into the arena this year that cost us a small fortune to bring in and they were used by i think 12 people across the weekend but it's still those 12 people had a better experience for them being there it's worth that investment so it's not necessarily all about you know looking after those people that are spending the most money it's looking after everybody that spends anything that that spends their time with us uh, and if there is something we can change to make that experience better we'll look at it yeah and from a fan perspective you can definitely see that that happens across the festival Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Adam. It's been really great to chat to you and we really appreciate it. And hopefully we'll see you next year at Bloodstock. Definitely. Look forward to it. Thank you. Well, we hope you enjoyed listening to our chat with Adam. If you are listening to this on release day, then the next Bloodstock announcement is tomorrow, the 5th of December. So, yeah, wait and see who's going to be on that announcement. Don't forget, if you're not already following us on our social media places, we're on Instagram, Twitter, now known as X and Threads at Ready to Mosh Cast and Facebook, TikTok and YouTube at Ready to Mosh. If you have enjoyed listening to us today, then we would really appreciate a five star rating and a little review. That would be very lovely indeed. And we'll be back again soon with another episode for you. Make it mosh, Moog.